welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast about connecting with global audiences. Globally Speaking is designed to explore the challenges involved in breaking down language and communication barriers. Our hosts and guests, thought leaders and industry experts, discuss their experiences on a range of topics relating to content, communication and customer engagement. Welcome to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Globally Speaking podcast. I am Marine Esconet at the Riestis Social Media Manager, and today I'm very honored to be joined by Richard Cronin, localization lead at Google, to discuss all things localization. Welcome, Richard. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Um, how are you today? It's the beginning of the day for you, isn't it? I hope it's not too early, but as you're based in San Francisco, um, it had to be early in the morning. It did, um, but I'm excited to be here. Very, very excited to be chatting today, Maureen. So thank you so much for having me on. A um, little early San Francisco time, but not too much. It's only in the 8 a.m. So well used to it. That's perfect. Thank you for being here. We're really happy to. Um, do you maybe want to start by telling us a bit more about yourself and your role at Google? How long have you been there and what are your responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been at Google for about nine years now at this point. Um, and I've been working in the ads realm for all of that time, helping our SMB advertise or our, our SMB advertisers and our large advertising clients um, with their marketing strategy and their growth. Um, so previously worked as an account manager at Google. Um, and for the last kind of three plus years, I've been the localization lead on our international growth team. Um, and the international growth team is a specialist team within our ads organization. And our role at Google is specifically helping clients uh, with their international strategy, their international expansion opportunities. Um, so my role on that team then, you know, we have some, some teammates who kind of work on that, that strategy, that ads piece. And then I specifically help clients with localization and all the challenges that come uh, with expanding and localizing to the new market. So um, I'll provide consultations to advertising clients on everything to do with localization from how they set up operations in a in-house or you know what are the customer demands and expectations around language in a market all the way through to marketing localization and how they can you know localize and also culturalize marketing in order to uh, really engage and connect with customers okay so yeah just to make it clear for everyone who's listening to us it's more about the strategy about going global um, rather than translating content in itself, do you maybe can you know can you maybe give us a few examples of what your customers are translating as content, or this is a bit further down the line from from your processes? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and we do run a lot of um, translation and localization services for those clients as well. So um, I'll to help clients with everything from you know helping them understand how they localize and translate their website, and we'll help facilitate referral to some of our localization partners to do that and we also run a number of um, translation and localization services in-house that advertisers can get uh, get access to so I guess maybe to just kind of start at the top of, of kind of the services that Google provides and, and how we plug in plug in with clients um, so Externally and kind of easily available to find, the, the first thing I'd highlight would be our Market Finder site, uh, which we found at marketfinder.thinkwithgoogle.com. Um, this is an external site uh, run by our team that helps businesses identify and navigate the complexity of, of growing internationally and helps them identify um, you know, what they might need to do in, in a market. So it's a good kind of taster to, to that international strategy piece. Um, 
for our Play clients available within their, their Play developer consoles. Uh, we do support App Store and, and App Campaign or App Translation. Um, so businesses through the, the Play developer console can request um, translation services. Um, and then within the international growth team, some of the things that we provide and we help clients with. So we'll do localization reviews for them. So we'll review their website or their app, help provide um, feedback on, on if it, the site if it's already translated. They don't have existing translated content, a translated website. We may refer them to some of our localization partners uh, to gain support with that. Um, and then we also do support uh, localization and translation for our clients. Um, with their advertising campaigns. Um, so we have a whole program that can help translate search and app campaigns. And kind of in the newer realm where we're working around is, is looking to see how we can support our Google Shopping clients and translate their shopping feeds. Um, and similarly, video clients. And how can we help our video clients translate and localize uh, their videos? So running a couple of betas uh, in those scenarios um, and trying to facilitate clients to translate their campaigns and, and reach customers in their in their native languages as much as we can. Okay. And out of curiosity, do you have um, how many does Google, uh, does translators, how many translators, sorry, does Google have? And uh, is it a mix of in-house and freelances translators or how does that work? Yeah, I'm not sure the exact number that we have, but it would be a bit of a, a mix. Yeah. yeah, it would be a bit of a mix in-house. I think we do rely a lot more on our partners to, to provide the, the linguists at this point. We would kind of um, localization PMs, running and managing those relationships. Um, and then our partners like OWS is kind of who actually employs the linguists. So I'm not sure how many people we have uh, at any yeah. given time. <laughs> uh, a lot, probably. Yeah, definitely a lot. We're translating into, I think, over 90 plus languages for our products. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on at any given time. You get an idea out of, uh, yeah, out of this number already. Yeah. So, like, could you tell us more about, you know, which customers you help when it comes to localization? What are the markets and some, you know, the, the customers in general? Um, yeah. Um, so, very, very varied. So, I work in our Americas team. So we support clients that, you know, their home market is either uh, North America, Central America, or South America. So I'll work with clients from anywhere from Canada to, you know, Argentina, Colombia, um, and the U.S. In the markets they're going to, that can be very, very varied, um, depending on the business. I would say the top markets that are, you know, the markets are usually top of mind for customers um, coming from the U.S. for U.S.-specific clients, English first will always be a, a big go-to. They'll always look to go to the U.K., Canada, Australia um, first to lead with. Um, then Germany and France tend to be kind of the next biggest uh, MIA markets. Um, Japan and Korea uh, would usually be the big APAC markets that they're looking for insights on. Um, and then when it comes to um, LATAM, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil would generally be there big export markets um, in terms of the industries that's a, that really varies as well because um, in my role I support clients from you know across the whole gamut across their whole spectrum of advertising clients um, so really almost any industry um, that's, that we have that, that we have kind of a vertical in supporting uh, in Google will be supporting that within our international team and I'll be supporting that within localization so everything from apps to financial services to B2B tech Retail, uh, there's a huge amount of variance, um, 
very, very different clients from, from a day to day. Okay. Well, thank you for the very complete explanation in all of this. Um, what keeps you awake at night? What motivates you in, in the work you do? Yeah. Um, I mean, what keeps me awake? I think the, the big challenge and the one that, that comes up a lot um, is really understanding the impact and the ROI of localization. It's a very common question. And as I kind of mentioned there, there's a huge amount of, of variance with the clients and the markets that, that I'm working on at any given time. So it's very hard to find a clear benchmark to say to a client that, hey, if you look for Japanese, you'll see X uplift in sales. Um, but it's what, people, it's what people want. Customers really want to see that social proof. Um, you know, they might see the size of a market, but they really want to know if they localize, what's the impact they're going to see? Will that yield dividends? And I want to ensure I'm working with clients, you know, I'm advising them on things that will, that will uh, drive a return on investment to them. So um, coming up, understanding and figuring out that impact, trying to build case studies is always something top of mind for me. Um, or also um, looking at, I'll also do a lot of kind of figuring out, you know, using, say, consumer preference data and using the client's web analytics data or the Google Ads data, try to figure that out and use that to um to kind of model out an expectation of what they might see, what uplift they might see. So uh, anyone who's good ideas uh, on those benchmarks or those models would, would definitely love to, to hear from. Um, and then another big piece, I think, um, that's kind of keeping me awake or that's top of mind at the moment is definitely the industry transition from, uh, towards machine translation and towards AI. Um, the pace that AI has been accepted uh, is accelerating uh, so fast and then considering to con continuing to do so. Um, and while localization as an industry has kind of been at the forefront of this for a while, you know, we've had machine translation available to us and we've been utilizing that as a tool for a, a long, long time at this point. Um, I think we're going to see a big shift in that. And um, there's a huge new acceptance from customers. I think there's a huge opportunity with how we can engage AI and machine translation more effectively to help customers grow and scale faster. Um, so this is something trying to do a lot of thinking about, trying to see those opportunities, um, but also at the same time trying to consider as we potentially as an industry move towards a more te technological solution, um, we continue to in to capture, you know, the fantastic nuance, the fantastic local knowledge um, that human linguists have and, and how do we ensure that we're still generating the same quality of content, the same quality of translation um, for customers um, if we are kind of moving and if machine models are, are getting better. So that's definitely kind of, I think, a big topic within, uh, you know, the tech industry right now, how we engage with AI. Um, and for me, it's, it's definitely kind of coming up more and more with customers um, so it's one I'm, I'm trying to kind of develop more of a POV, POV on, develop more of a strategy on as well and, and how we can engage with that more effectively for our customers. And, and I think, you know, in the localization industry, it was really like we were aware of, you know, machine translation and, and technology helping humans. Like we've been aware for a few years really, but now everyone's aware. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe where like customers are going to change, customers, sorry, are going to change their mind about it because everyone... Like, I don't know how many people use it on a daily basis, but individuals use it now, you know, and they can see what, how it works. And I think they're getting more and more convinced. So, yeah. And it, it ties up nicely with my nice question, with my next quest question, actually. Um, like it was exactly asking you 
how how is tech evolving like do you have new tools like new technologies we know but do do you have new processes of of uh, working to help do, your clients entering new markets mm -hmm. right now i would say no at, at the moment we're still using a fairly standard kind of framework the fairly standard kind of technology stack um that you would expect kind of a mix of machine translation a mix of human um mix of post editing Um, but we think we're in a big shift in that. That's just kind of the immediate, but we're about to, I think, launch forward through that. Um, and all those processes are about to kind of start to change. Um, yeah. you know, with the launch of the generative AI programs that we've seen over the last while, Google's Bard or ChatGPT, these large language models, there's been such, like you said, a huge acceptance um, of these tools, of this um, content. Um, and I think we're going to kind of continue to see that. I think an interesting space around that, like Google for a long time, we've had a Google Translate. You can access it on, on Google Web. It's kind of at the full professional product is within our cloud suite. And it's, you know, really fantastic uh, quality machine translation where I think we're going to see an interesting shift within the next kind of year or so. Um, would be around the generative AI piece, around the creating content and people becoming more comfortable with machines, maybe not just translating content, but actually generating the content for you. So uh, when I talk to clients, you know, I'll talk about the various styles or the various uh, technology that you can use for translation, the various uh, forms of translation from machine translation all the way up to copywriting. And um, when they sit on different of the scale and what's interesting is i think those are going to be very much flipped uh, very quickly where machine translation and generative ai is going to become a much more acceptable form of copywriting um and it's been interesting in the last you know 12 months ago speaking to, to clients and talking about how machine translation and how they can utilize it a lot of people would have been quite uncomfortable with machine translation within the last six months i've had clients asking me oh can we use bard or can we use ChatGPT to translate our advertising campaigns or to translate our website so people have gone from you know oh we don't want to use machine translation to all of a sudden wanting to use very very new tools to translate their advertising campaign at the website which for the moment i would i would definitely encourage not to maybe not to use those tools i think that's not their their purpose and their build what they're built for yet but That difference in conversation, I think, really signals a change um, that's underway and how clients are going to start approaching us for, for translation and localization in the next six months to a year. Okay, six months to two years, you would say. And it's so interesting you're saying that about, about uh, customers because as a translator, so I was a translator before um, from German and English into French and everyone in the in the like every translator out there was a bit worried about it and then only if you could tell that only a few ones were you know curious about using machine translation and getting it incorporated in your working process really and now i can feel a really really big difference with how people are just more hap like happier to work with it and realizing that this brings you know that this saves you um some time it, it brings you more better ways of working really so yeah that's interesting i think it's a general opinion right it, it just spread over the whole world exactly yeah and i think you know it, it is an amazing tool i think it allows so much more scale for people to work um i think the content creation piece will be very very interesting yeah yes. exactly 
because even going beyond, you know, copywriting, say something like we've, we've seen these language models, you know, people putting in create a business plan for me or something like that. So going beyond that content creation of text, um, it's going to continue to evolve. You know, we'll soon be kind of audio and video content created into local language. And I think what we'll start to see and require is maybe um, some of the machine translation platforms um, kind of starting to encompass this and starting to require more than just an opportunity, more than just than being a tool to translate, but also being a tool that can create that content for customers um, and really kind of be a much more, more powerful, much more powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's basically touching every every creation, you know, like process out there. If you have a look at videos, it's impacting everything: photo creation, like photography. Uh, video creation, video editing, it's, it's really, yeah, it's very powerful, isn't it? Do you, do you see any other hot topics in the industry at the moment? Um, that content creation one is actually maybe the, the biggest one I feel at the moment. So yeah. Yeah. Beat myself on that one. But, um, I think, yeah, the, I think that's, that's the big piece. I think that the machine translation is going to be very accepted very quickly. Like you said, the photography that's being created in AI models nowadays is just incredible. And that's it's on, incredible. It's been on kind of less than a year, I think, that those um, photo creation tools kind of became public. Um, so the big a big topic or a big shift that I think that I see will be around this need for localization agencies to start offering content generation tools within their platforms. Um, and to be a little bit beyond just taking content and translating it but actually i think uh becoming almost maybe more of a creative agency for customers um, and becoming a bit more of like a one-stop shop where customers going into a new market can rely on the on the localization agency you know previously would have done the copywriting but now can do it more scale with these kind of new ai models um so i think that'll be an interesting one to watch how localization agencies maybe have to shift and adapt for the demand from moving from just translation but to local language content creation. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting one to, to watch over the next little while. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. My next question would be um, more than any other brands, a global brand like Google needs to ensure it's understood by all its customers and make sure that the communication is inclusive. Um, how do you approach the topic when it comes to translating content for global audiences and making it um, inclusive for everyone? Yeah. Um, so there's kind of <clears throat> two sections, I think, on this. Um, so for just two extremely important principles at Google. Um, we have this idea of building for everyone, and we have this idea of respecting the user. Um, building for everyone means that every product we build has to be built for all users in mind. And that comes from just a language standpoint, but also an accessibility standpoint. Um, and that kind of follows into respecting the user and making sure that when people use our products and um, they feel heard, they feel that it is built for them, they feel that they can use it correctly. So um, we really try to go into markets with this international first uh, mindset. Um, we've launched lots of products over the, the years that Google has been a business. Um, some have succeeded fantastically, some not so much. And at times, 
um, localization and internationalization not being a core feature of the development um, has been part of the issue of, of you know where we have and haven't seen success. So we've learned from that and now we build everything with the lens that it will be used internationally. Um, our teams, our, our development teams have, have very clear internationalization frameworks um, built into their working processes to ensure that the, the product can scale into other markets. Um, and then we have a lot of the standard kind of style guide, really well-developed style guides for all our linguists and translators. So we're approaching everything thinking about this needs to go global, this needs to go beyond, you know, uh, Silicon Valley being the home place of Google, this needs to go beyond this market. Um, so that definitely helps us sort of approach that topic, be aware that we're going to be translating content, be aware we're going to be speaking to lots of different users beyond kind of being the, the company's domestic language. So having that mindset at the very start from the development of the product is hugely important. The next piece that I would say is then uh, around inclusive marketing. Um, and this is a really important part of our marketing strategy. Um, and you can read a bit more about it. We, we publicize this at all-in.withgoogle.com. Or if you okay. Google allinwithgoogle.com. Um, and what that is, is that'll bring our inclusive marketing strategy, how our marketing teams think about translating for everyone, think about including everyone in their marketing messages. Um, and a couple of core tenants that I'd pull out from that strategy that, that help us translate and localize for everyone. Um, we're very focused on building the right teams. So all of our marketing teams are, are focused on making sure that they're representative, focused on making sure that we have multiple different voices in the room at any given time so that all these other languages, all these other markets, all these other people are being uh, taught, taught about. Uh, um, then we kind of ensure that you know inclusion is built into the strategy. It needs to be in a cornerstone of um, the marketing strategy. So a really nice point around that that I've heard is is that we try to know what stories aren't being told. We try to be aware of you know who's being marketed to, who isn't, and who could we represent in that marketing much better. So that really kind of drives us to be most more inclusive. And then once you're kind of developing that that you can start to look at you know your creative choices who you're casting and making sure that um, you're casting people that are reflective of the markets that you're speaking to um, and that you're including the whole community in there but i think that idea of knowing what stories aren't being told um is is really great and it really helps drive us and keep us centered on the idea that we need to build and we need to talk to lots of different people um which then kind of continues on and snowballs on into our, our localization translate that content yeah it's amazing and that's really really interesting and and you mentioned it was available online that's what you said at the beginning right it is yeah so if you for all in with google that will bring you okay. to our, our inclusive marketing site and oh, it cool. is out our whole inclusive marketing strategy so we've made it public we've made it out there for people so that other brands can easily tap into that uh and you know, okay. those principles as well yeah, well, let's all go have a look. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's, uh, it's, I'll go have a look right after we, we finish the podcast. Um, um, localization is so much more than translating words. Um, what would you say we really need to pay attention when entering a new market beyond language? Um, yeah. What, what would be the key point that isn't just words, what people don't think about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, I think localization goes so much more beyond the language uh, element and to really localize content means that you should be connecting and engaging with customers on an emotional and a cultural level that is specific to their markets. So one of the ways that I like to speak to clients about this and talk about this um, is, is some localization frameworks we use. Um, and the first one is the four localization pillars, um, as I've kind of called them which are okay. like people, location, and culture. And I think if you approach localization, if you approach your international journey with these four pillars, um, you can really get the, the localization right. You can really speak and engage with customers. So language, that's the most obvious one, really. But uh, are you speaking the right language to the customer? Um, are you using local, locally relevant voiceovers, especially for... Spanish to Spanish market or an English to English market? Um, are you approaching it the way customers expect it to, to language to be approached in that market? So, for example, Australia has a very informal attitude to language. So, in air marketing, you'll see lots of slang, you'll see lots of casual language being used. So, knowing that and then leaning into that in, in your marketing is going to be really impactful. Um, the second Pillar is people, so knowing the demographics of the market, knowing the demographics of your customers, and making sure that you're casting um, the correct actors, the correct models that are going to reflect these demographics, not just taking the photo shoot or the video from your market, um, transplanting it in another market where it may have different demographics. People need to be seen, people want to be seen uh, in advertising. So getting a lay of the land, knowing who the people in the market are is going to be very impactful. Um, in, um, in in South Korea, for example, sorry, um, local people is, a, is is really important in advertisements, and, and going beyond just local people, star power is very is very much used in South Korea. A lot of ads feature lots of celebrities, either sports people, K-pop stars. So knowing that and knowing that you, know, you should bring in some of that star power is going to be really impactful. Um, the third pillar then being location, so using location to try and embed your brand in the market. Um, in India, for example, we've seen that using locally recognized locations drives a lot of performance in video advertisements. And then finally, culture. And these buckets all waterfall into culture, but then it also encompasses so much more. Um, you know, it's how can you integrate local customs? How can you integrate local food? How can you avoid faux pas or kind of lean into the positive nuances in that market? Um, how you can engage things like music. Um, and for example, Japan, local music, locally recognized music is a big driver of performance in video advertisements. So I would always encourage brands, whether it's their marketing or their website, to use these four pillars um, and to kind of assess the market they're going into based on these four pillars, see how they currently line up to those four pillars, and then make the changes that they need to make uh, in order for it to feel truly local. Uh, the other framework that, that we use sometimes and look at to guide us a bit can be Hofstede's cultural dimensions, uh, which people may recognize. Um, if not, it's a sociological report that assesses different cultural values of markets. Um, and I find that this can be a, a helpful one when assessing the culture of a market, trying to understand uh, their values, trying to understand their needs. Um, it has a lot of great um, values in it where it looks at you know as a market collectivist or individualistic so you know it was a very community 
driven are the people focus on themselves. Another great value from, from that report is uncertainty avoidance, which is how much uh, rules, how much information, how much structure a market, uh, a culture prefers. And, you know, understanding those can help you understand how much you'll need to communicate to a market, maybe what kind of visuals you might communicate, do you direct, do you need to be indirect. Um, so using those two frameworks helped me a lot when speaking to customers and getting them to get to a point where they're localizing beyond language, where they're localizing, where they're engaging with, with culture um, and really drive significant customers in that market. I'm so happy you mentioned the uh, translation from one language to the same language, you know, from Spanish to Spanish before another market, because this is something people never think about, but it can Like, you know, from a marketing perspective, it can create m like massive pitfalls and everything with like two words meaning diff having a different um, notion or meaning two things completely different and creating big problems, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely massive. I mean, especially when you think of Spanish to Spanish or French to for France to, to Quebec, there's, there's very big differences in pronunciation, there's difference in vocabulary and grammar. Um, and even in LATAM, from a country-to-country -country, uh, perspective, okay. there's going to okay. be differences between those markets. So um, a lot of brands will come to us to ask that question. Like, we have European-French campaigns or videos. Can we run these in Quebec, for example? Um, and around, usually like, no, you need to think a little bit deeper on this. You need to, to kind of do it a little bit more. So uh, definitely want to be aware of and not to kind of scale too fast um, with that. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you and this is why, why what we always say, but localization needs to be taken into consideration from the very early stages, simply for the reason that you mentioned with the videos, for example. Someone in Canada might want to see Canadian streets, you know, in their, in their, in the video or in their advertising. Whereas if you record it in Paris, it might seem slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Like Kim Hortons is an interesting example. It's maybe mm. a 25 year old example, but a lot of the reason for why they got a good foothold in Quebec and Starbucks didn't get the same foothold at the time was because um, Tim Hortons went ahead and they localized a lot of their content to be more relevant to Quebec uh, francophones, Canadian anglophones. So on their coffee cups, I think in, in anglophone Canada, Uh, is a streetscape of Toronto, maybe. And then when they moved, when they launched in Quebec, they changed that to be Montreal and they made a couple of other uh, kind of small image changes that gave a bit more of a yeah. Quebec. Um, and in a number of case studies, that's kind of credited for why they succeeded um, more so in the early 2000s than other coffee chains in Quebec. So there's a lot to it there, but the, the language piece. And without knowing the situation in Canada with the fact they, you know, they're quite protective with the language, there's absolutely no way you can know about this. So that's yeah. why it's so important to, yeah. Um, can you maybe share with us uh, a few anecdotes now of the, um, of some localization problems that you've had to face with some customers and how were, uh, how were they overcome? Yeah. Um, so I think speaking of the kind of the video, the culture piece, an interesting one um, that we worked on with a client, uh, we worked on a client, an APAC client, who was a games developer, and they were launching an advertisement, uh, and they were launching in the US um, about two, three years ago, maybe. Um, we were supporting them on the localization, we were providing some consultations, they would be well set up to go. 
Um, and then it came through to the point where they were providing the, the video to us uh, that they wanted to launch in the market. When we got the video, we assessed it based on those four localization pillars that we discussed. Um, and what we found was that there was a number of sensitive images within the video that may have caused issues if they were launched within the US. It was a very there were innocent mistakes. There weren't something that uh, the client, the, the business had meant to do, but there were just certain images, certain scenes from the game uh, at the time that we felt could be quite challenging, may not fully resonate for customers within the US at, the, at that time. So thankfully for us and us being able to do an assessment with those four localization pillars, we were able to find those cultural issues. We were able to find what would have been quite large uh, kind of cultural faux pas for that business to make um, and give them that feedback. They were able to go back, make the changes to the game, make the changes to their advertisement that they're going to launch with, uh, and then come back and launch that in the US. And after making those changes, after being aware of kind of the, the cultural sensitivities that we had spotted uh, in their in their ad, um, they were able to launch the, the campaign, launch the game to great success. Um, and by having that kind of localized perspective, by not kind of running with a, an ad that, that worked in other markets but wouldn't have worked here, they were able to see great success and they were able to grow their games over the last few years. Um, so it really speaks to, I think, that point of localization goes so much beyond the language piece. And, you know, you can translate your ad into English, um, but you do need to then kind of take a look at the imagery, take a look at what's happening in that market culturally at that time um, and make sure that your ad aligns to that and that your ad doesn't kind of miss any mark uh, that might be expected within the, the country at that time. Um, and that covers nicely the next question I wanted to ask you, like how, you know, video content is very different to other content and what challenge does it present? But I think we literally talked about uh, everything about it. I just wanted to ask, um, do you do you see um, more video requests from your customers or more uh, maybe even like virtual reality requests, you know, like do you see a, a big change in this? Definitely seeing more video requests. Um, there's, you know, more video content being consumed online um, every year. So brands are trying to meet that expectations. Um, so we are getting more requests around video consultations of brands wanting to know you know, can they take their ad they're running in Canada and just run it in France? Um, and that's where we come in with those kind of four pillars that we talked about. And we'll try to break down the market with those four pillars. We'll add with those four pillars uh, and we'll try and find any, you know, disconnects or we'll try and find any positives that they're doing that is that is expected. Um, haven't seen Vior so much yet, um, but I think okay. we, we probably will. I'm sure we will at some point. Um their big product launch had a, had some kind of exciting VR headsets. So I'm sure we're yeah. only a short time away. Um, one area in, in video I think I'm excited about is the, the kind of automation of video localization. I think that has always been a challenge for brands. It's expensive to create a video. So if you're a, a US brand, it's expensive to create a video. It's inexpensive to try and create a new one for Germany or, um, or localize that. So um, at I.O., our developer conference there a few weeks ago, um, we kind of teased a, a tool, a video localization tool we're working on called Universal Translator. And um, we shared a really exciting project we did with Arizona State University, where we were helping them localize their lectures and their tutors and how we were helping wow. them 
engage more users through this, where we were able to create really realistic um, voiceovers and translate video content. So it's something that's not uh, available yet. Um, it's a okay. very, uh, in development and just being teased at IO, but that's something I'm very excited about in this space. I think this a lot that could offer a lot of opportunity to uh, brands and to businesses to create more local video content and to be able to engage uh, better with customers in different markets. That sounds really amazing. Um, my last question. Uh, if you had one piece of advice for a brand trying to go global, what would it be? Yeah. Um, my advice would be don't be afraid to start small. A lot of brands I speak to, they come to me and, and you know they have an English site, for example, and they want to go to France, but they're deterred by the cost of localization. They're deterred by the scale and the effort of localization for France, for example. But what I find is that you can do that on a much smaller scale. If you focus in on kind of launching a microsite, for example, is, is how I usually advise it, and, and focus on the content that is really important to customers, which as a rule of thumb from consumer preference surveys we've done, is content people want to see localized uh, most of the time is the product information, the reviews, and the support pages. So if you can focus in on your site and localize those three sections of content first, and then launch with just that content in that market with a scaled down, a trimmed down version of your site, that can usually be enough to, to be successful. That will start driving customers to sites, starting customers will start buying from you. And then you can start to look at it scaling out your about page and your resources and your careers and all the other content on your site that you'd like to communicate. But Starting small would be my, my big piece of advice. Um, don't be afraid to go to a microsite, test the waters, understand the, the impact initially, and then you can kind of look at your whole site to, to localize. Um, in the same vein, you know, if you're an e-commerce or a retail customer, launching with your top 10 or 20 products um, is always a, an option there. Um, the, the, that was kind of a, the starting small was my other anecdote as I was considering when you asked that of like had a number of clients that have come to us they want to go international they see an opportunity but they're afraid or don't have the resources um, and we've had great success with them by working with them to highlight and find you know which is the most important piece of the content for you translate those let's launch with that um, and that's usually more than enough for them see success with that and then they can continue to grow so um, start small pick the priority content to localize and leave with that and then from there you can continue to build on well thank you so so much for sharing with us all those interesting uh, insights thank you for taking the time to answer our questions um, I hope you enjoyed the discussion I really really had a good time uh, and uh, yeah is there anything you want to add before we say we say bye bye to to our listeners No, that was uh, me, Maureen. Thank you very much. It was a fantastic chat. Um, I hope everyone uh, got some tidbits out of it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. It was great fun. I'm sure they did. It was really, really interesting. Thank you again. Um, and yeah, we'll say uh, see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. See you, folks.